our understanding of and support for resistance to occupation is not conditional and it's not theoretical, but it doesn't mean that we can or should celebrate, romanticize, or ignore the horrific forms of fighting back that um, often happen in these untenable situations. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the Bituation Room. I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini, on a very heavy Tuesday, October 10th, or whenever you're listening to this show show here. Uh, I hope you are uh, liking this stream and sharing it if you're live right now. And if you're in the future, hey, give this podcast five stars or, uh, you know, maybe throw a bunch of troll comments into the reviews, depending on whether you hate everything I'm about to say in the next hour and a half. Um, we have a very good show. Obviously, we're going to be focusing on what's going on in Gaza and in Israel. Um, I am going to be joined by my longtime friend um, who has organized for Palestinian human rights, who's been a Jewish educator and currently is working on basically fixing the food system in New York. Uh, no, working on food justice issues She's an incredible woman. Uh, Aura Wise is going to be here in a little bit, as well as none other than Ravana of TYT, of her own stream um, on Twitch, uh, of Rebel HQ, of all the amazing things. Um, recently uh, just graduated law school, so no big deal. Um, love Ravana. Love her takes always. If you guys aren't following Ray, you know you need to. Um, just bring always brings a fire. So super excited to have Ray on for the very first time here in the Bituation Room. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a, a big one. It's going to be a heavy one. I'm going to say some things and uh, you better be ready for it. Uh, I hope you are. If you are a supporter of this show, if you like me, um, surprise, I'm against occupation. So if that's going to trigger you, you can see yourself out now. But I did want to remind you before we go forward that this show is, I mean, no surprises here, not safe for a lot of advertisers. And that's why it absolutely runs on people power, um, like all of our resistance movements and like revolution runs on people power. And this podcast is no different. Guys, patreon.com slash habituation room is where you go to support this show with, with five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month gets you that shout out. Uh, during the fart song, uh, the coveted shout out during the fart song, act like you know. Um, it also gets you access to the bonus bishes where we sort of dig into stories that we couldn't cover during the week. Um, we we also dig into like the silly stories. It's just a lot of fun, as everyone can tell you. Um, so you can get all the back episodes, plus get access to the audio version as well as uh, watchback privileges on Patreon. Also, you can become a member on YouTube and a member on Twitch, and you get all those same privileges. Actually, not as many privileges, because you don't get 20% off merch and all the good stuff. Um, obviously, I'm really excited to see you guys next Tuesday, uh, October 17th, at the Punchline in San Francisco. I hope you guys all have your tickets. Matt Lieb and I are going to be headlining. Um, it's going to be super fun. Um, so, you know... Hold on to your butts. Let's tuck in. It is going to be quite a ride. Uh, and so let's go, guys. What are you bitching about? There's only one thing on my mind. Let's, this is, what are you bitching about? 
So obviously um, this week marks um, the beginning of yet another war on Gaza, this time um, provoked by a massive massacre on uh, Israeli citizens and and uh, military personnel, uh, at least this latest iteration. Um, and I have to say, as someone who's been uh, standing against the occupation, marching for Palestine since 2003, four got woke to the issue um, after being, you know, obviously headfirst into uh, living in New York and being, um, you know, blocks away from ground zero and seeing the way that the United States government rushed into two plus wars and attacked Afghanistan and then Iraq and whatnot, um, learning about Palestine, both inside the educational system and then through comrades and friends and Palestinians themselves has been part of my struggle. So I'm always, and, and my politicization. So I'm always, you know, uh, I've been there. Um, and in 2008 and nine, there was a war on Gaza, 2014, a war on Gaza, 2021, a war on Gaza. Every, you know, five or so years, there's always, um, you know, Israel uses Gaza as a kind of a testing ground for all the new military weaponry that they've uh, gotten from, thanks to U.S taxpayer dollars. This time around, however, um, I have never experienced the direct personal attacks um, on myself, on my family, on um, calling me names as if I support terrorists and terrorism, simply by saying the words occupation. So because and this happens on social media because I say I believe that the root cause of the amount of violence that we're seeing is an illegal occupation of Palestinian land. Suddenly, I support terrorism. That's right. I support the killing of civilians. Didn't say that. Didn't say that ever. Uh, didn't throw up like the, you know, a Hamas flag or a sign or whatnot. I don't even know. If, do they have a flag? Didn't do any of that. But no, suddenly. And these are people that I know. Um, people are very on edge. And when I say people, let's be more ex uh, explicit and specific about who I mean. I'm talking about liberal Zionists. I'm talking about people, as we used to call in our movements, and we still do, progressive until Palestine. Yes, I'm against the invasion of Iraq. I'm against the invasion of Afghanistan. I believe in sovereignty for all people, except when it comes to Israel-Palestine. And for whatever reason, I refuse to learn more. I refuse to make it less, not about religion. Instead, I, I've closed my mind and I've decided this is the issue that, um, no, I, I, I am okay with trampling of indigenous rights. I'm okay with ethnic cleansing. I'm okay because it's justified. And especially because um, the other opposing force is our Jews, right? It is a Jewish state, and I've been taught to believe that this state represents all Jews, uh, and it is the end, is the pinnacle of Judaism, is the state of Israel. Um, and I got some tough love for y'all. Tough love. All right, we're we're probably not going to be friends at the end of this. <laughs> uh, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough for a while. Um, but here's here's what I have to say. What are you for? What are you for? What do you want? What do you think is the solution right now? I say end the occupation. I'm very clear about where I stand on this issue. I say it with my full chest. Do you say with your full chest that you believe that the state of Israel should be carpet bombing the two million people sitting like ducks in the open air prison that is known as Gaza? 
do you support that and say that with your own chest, your whole chest? Because that is what's happening right now. And you should own that, that you believe that, because that is what the state of Israel is doing, claiming to represent all Israelis, claiming to represent all Jews, claiming to be on the side of peace. We must kill more civilians. So do you stand by that? What is your solution? Is it three days of bombing? Is it five days of bombing? Is it a thousand people dead as we are now? Is it 2,000? Is it 5,000 people? Or is it the obliteration of Gaza as we know it, which is where the Israeli military is headed? What is it that you are proposing? You want to talk about peace processes? Let's talk about peace processes. You want to talk about who's made the peace process impossible? Let's talk about Israeli settlements expanding and expanding and expanding. How can you negotiate on changing terrain? How can you negotiate uh, when consistently the people you are negotiating with are getting more and more and more and more weaponry? But instead, I'm the enemy. I'm being called the enemy because I, and not only the enemy, I'm being called anti-Semitic. I'm being called anti-Semitic that I support the murder of babies. This is what's happening, guys. I mean, because I say occupation, I'm not sensitive to the death. I think the people who know about the occupation are very sensitive to the amount of death in that region on all the sides, right? You want me to call people terrorists? That's fine. I will call Hamas terrorists, but you have to accept that the state of Israel is a terrorist entity and the military is committing acts of terrorism. It might be sanitized because it's raining from the fucking skies and not coming from a guy in a mask. I get it. But it's terrorism nevertheless. Here's what I have to say. Let's, let's do a corollary in the United States. We're Americans. Let's talk about it. Every single time there's a mass shooting, what do Republicans ask us to do? Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Wow. Yes, another AR-15, but wow, thoughts and prayers, you know? My heart goes out. What could have been done to prevent this tragedy? Nothing, actually. And what do we say? What do we liberals say time and again? We say, can we talk about gun control? Can we talk about the ease at which people are able to murder one another? Can we talk about the root causes? Can we talk about the ways that everywhere else they have mental illness, everywhere else there is depression, everywhere else, you know, teens are angsty and bullying happens, but only in America do we have the access to automatic weapons that murder so many people in such little amount of time with as soon as you turn 18 or over or online. No, we're told we're never allowed to talk about that. That is the same principle that liberal Zionists are imposing on the rest of us to say you are anti-Semitic if you bring up the occupation at a time like this and they clutch their fucking pearls. It now is not a time for pearls, people. Okay? It is not a time. I don't need to see more images coming out of Gaza. I don't need to cry for the, you know, the fifth time today. I don't need you browbeating me, telling me that I'm fucking anti-Semitic. You know nothing of this conflict. And yes, I've reached out to all my Israeli friends. And yes, I care. And yes, I know people are dying. You have a choice to make. Which side are you on, dude? Who are you standing with? What are you for? I'm for the end of the occupation in accordance with international law along 1967 borders. I am for 
ideally a two-state solution, but more and more, as many experts and people far smarter than me have said, a one-state solution that is that is diverse and democratic. Is that radical? I would argue that that would be a safer place for both Jews, Christians, Muslims, Palestinians, Israelis, and everybody. That's the way the land originally was back in the day. Colonialism is a hell of a fucking drug, isn't it? So what are you for? Do you stand with these war crimes? Stand with them. That's fine. I'm not going to, like, we're not going to be tight anymore, but you stand with the war crimes. You support them. Stand with them. Own that shit. Own your shit. Okay? If you're going to own it, that's fine. But don't come at me. Don't point at me. It's not my posting. It's not, don't point at all of the people pointing out the occupation. We are not your enemy. The enemy, obviously, are the people in power who have fucked this situation for decades, who have sat on their hands, Americans, Israeli leadership, and yeah, Palestinians and militants, for sure. But you know nothing of the conflict if you put all of those people on equal footing. If you boil this down to religion. Anyway, I am very angry. I'm very emotional. I've cried a lot. I will be taking office hours with all of the liberal Zionists one by one. You sign up. There's some Zoom office hours. We'll have conversations. But look, we're going to dig into exactly what happened. And I am sensitive to people who disagree with me, but I am not okay with personal attacks. Okay. Okay. With that said, classroom. um, Hey, is this a comedy show? Fuck me. She is a political commentator for TYT. She streams every weekday at 7 p.m. She co-hosts Central. She co-hosts the podcast Red Flag and Taking the L. Please welcome Ravana. Hi, that was excellent. I was, you know, snapping for you. That was an excellent. <laughs> I teared up a little bit. Like, and as someone who was yesterday called a uh, terrorist whore for describing the ways in which Israel has historically supported Hamas to undermine um, other liberation efforts that they believe to be more successful and efforts that they would be able to demonize less. Yeah. Absolutely livid as well. So, but thank you for having me on. <laughs> of course. Thank you for being on. I, uh, I think that's, uh, that's the other thing I wanted to open with was, and I think we can talk about it. I mean, it's much more of the, the geopolitics or the politics of it, but um Israel has very much had a vested interest in making sure that, uh, you know, any voices of reason, uh, any people who want to negotiate, in fact, and we'll get into this Hamas itself, that anytime there's an attempt to negotiate a, a truce, um, they are, those folks are ignored, they're co-opted, they are bought off. Um, and you're right, like the extremism only benefits the far right in every country. It benefits the far right in the, the United States. It benefits the far right in Israel. It benefits, yes, the far right, it, you know, within the Palestinian society. So, um, and and all the other actors involved. But anyway, we'll we'll get into it, guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna skip over Ray. We usually start with what are you bitching about, but you know, there's only one big thing. So I want to bring in. Um, she is the co-founder of Fig, which is a grassroots collective of food workers transforming the system. Uh, she is such a dear friend. Um, she's also an incredible chef. Please welcome Aura Wise. Um, Hello. I need nothing but comfort food, Aura, at this time. I know. Last um, night I had an emergency pasta dinner after doing my <laughs> own crying. 
Um, Aura, Ray, Ray, Aura, I'm so happy to have you both here. I wanted to just kind of go through what's been happening. And I, so I apologize if some of it's kind of like territory we all know, but just to set the stage and then we'll like talk through the different angles of what's happening right now. Um, and especially from a progressive and left um, anti-colonial perspective, like where we need to be focusing and, and just giving some, yeah. So feel free to jump in and, and but, um, and Aura, I wanna also like direct some questions deliberately at you as someone who's worked on this issue a lot. Um, Actually, maybe let's just start there. Well, no, no, no. Eh, ah, got it. Um, That's what we're all going through in our heads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so bringing up everyone up to speed, if you don't know, uh, Saturday, um, about 100 uh, Hamas gunmen broke through the barrier fence that separates Gaza from Israel, um, attacked civilians and military personnel in, I believe, about five locations. The most terrifying and the one that we know about was this uh, music festival in a near Oz Kibbutz in the Negev, which is a desert. Um, I think estimates around 200 people or 200 and almost 300 people killed from that festival. About 130 people have been taken hostage. Um, some of them are military personnel, but also a lot of civilians, also American citizens, potentially dual citizens of Israel and the United States. Um, and so let's just talk specifically from, oh, let's talk about the hostages, but I guess I wanted, you know, this is the biggest attack on Israeli uh, civilians since the second intifada in 2000 to 2005. Aura, you've been working on this issue for a long time. This feels so different because of that. And in fact, it was pointing that out online for me that I guess was like the no-go zone to say like, you know, it's incredible how much attention this war is getting now because of the, the you know, the amount of Israelis who were killed. And yes, in egregious, I, when nobody is, believes in the uh, civilian, killing civilians, these are war crimes all around. But how does this feel different for you? And I guess, what was your initial reaction to this, like, like how devastating that news was coming through? <laughs> well, I think my initial reaction, of course, was, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, we're um, going to see um, complete Israeli military massacring in Gaza, which we are. Um, because there has been that consistently for years, as you pointed out, um, with, like you just said, much smaller uh, fighting back um, uh, from Palestinians. Um, my initial reaction that I have been talking about a lot with other folks who are in Palestine or are in community with Palestinians um, is that our understanding of and support for resistance to occupation um, is not conditional and it's not theoretical, but it doesn't mean that we can or should celebrate, romanticize, or ignore the horrific forms of fighting back that um, often happen in these untenable situations, um, like in Gaza. And Jewish Currents um, published a piece about a year ago, a little over a year ago, talking about the increase of Palestinian um, violent resistance 
Um, mm -hmm. And all these studies that have been conducted directly um, relating it to all the different criminalization and violent attacks of and suppression of Palestinian nonviolent resistance. Mm. Um, and so it is an equation that we know well. Um, and we've seen Palestinian nonviolent protesters gunned down by Israelis. We've seen um, Palestinians and those of us who are in solidarity with them uh, criminalized for supporting boycott and divestment. Um, and we've seen Palestinian artists and academics banned or criminalized. Um, I could go on and on. Um, yeah. This is not to mention, and maybe Rayvon is going to talk about it, the direct investment in Hamas that Israel made since the 70s as a way, as a classic colonial divide and conquer strategy. Um, and as a way to, as Ray was saying, um, try to undermine the much more inspiring and potentially liberating nationalist liberation um, struggle um, mm -hmm. and the leaders there. So my initial reaction, it was also like, we've been trying to prevent this for years. We've been yeah. struggling to end the curse that is the Israeli occupation. Um, and my initial reaction is Israel doesn't care about its citizens. It, we definitely know it um, is on a genocidal war path um, against Palestinians, but it doesn't, it makes decisions that jeopardize the safety of its own citizens and always has. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that yeah, like I thought Iran was invested in Hamas. Like, what are you guys talking about? Ray, what? Ray, do you want to take this one? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is uh, continuing on, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, because there's a quote from Netanyahu from 2019 that I'm glad is getting a little bit of attention um, right now. But there's been a, a long, ongoing concerted effort on behalf of, of the Israeli government. And, you know, I always say that they created the conditions to allow... Uh, Hamas and more extremist uh, resistance, sort of forms of resistance to to grow, but in in a more direct way, funneled money to Hamas in an effort to undermine, um, as Aura was saying, you know, more inspiring, you know, more socialist based, um, not not you know, nonviolent forms of resistance, but. Um, but when I was sorry, I'm like all over the place today. But there is a quote that I think is important. It's been circulating. Netanyahu said in 2019, while speaking to members of his party, that in order to ensure that there's never an establishment of a Palestinian state, Israel needs to, and his word was continue to, which I think is important to highlight, continue to fund <laughs> Hamas and bolster Hamas because they know that when they do that, when they're propping this up to the detriment of other uh, forms of resistance, they will always have an enemy they can demonize. They will always be able to say, well, we're fighting in a war against terrorism. We're fighting in a war against these groups that don't believe in the right of Israel to exist, despite the fact that, you know, there are uh, liberation organizations that have said, we're willing to concede that. We're willing to concede that Israel has a right to exist if you'll come to the negotiating table with us. Was Israel willing to go to the negotiating table with them? No. Despite the fact that that is the, the thing that they continue to say is the reason that they can't negotiate with these people, they don't want us to exist. 
So even yeah. when even when that is explicitly stated by the liberation organizations, it doesn't make a difference because again, they're funding organizations like Hamas and just it helps them. It helps the the broader PR cause that um you know as we'll look at you know as a defense minister said that Palestinians are animals yeah. and you can't negotiate with animals. Although uh, the Intercept brought some receipts, this was an article recently. They re uh, wrote that in 2018, Hamas leader Yahya uh, Sinwar wrote a letter in Hebrew, which is huge, <laughs> wrote a letter in Hebrew to Prime Minister Netanyahu asking him to take a calculated risk in agreeing to a long-term truce with Hamas. The truce would have led to an end to Hamas rocket fire against Israel in exchange for the reestablishment of economic infrastructure on the territory. Although some aid reached Gaza, Netanyahu ultimately rejected the treaty for broader truce. The U.S., of course, did not apply any notable pressure on Israel to pursue, pursue this or other possible openings. Um, we'll talk about the political failure a little bit um, later, but I wanted to zero in on something, Aura, you said about um, Israel not caring about its citizens. I think that comes across as, you know, if you are Israeli or you are watching the United States, you might say, what do you mean? That That's awful. This, what are you talking about? But there might be some evidence to that as we speak right now, uh, apparently there is no negotiation going on for the release of the some 130 hostages taken by Hamas. Um, uh, according to um, Israeli media, the Qatari ruler and German chancellor are going to meet and uh, will meet and have added Israel Hamas captive negotiations to their agenda. So I guess Qatar and Germany are going to work this out. Um, it's not clear. Hamas is asking for the release of uh Palestinian prisoners, um, specifically women and children from Israeli prisons. Um, Hamas is threatening to kill a captive every time Israel's military bombs civilian targets in Gaza without warning. Um, there are text messages being sent out, but you know we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and uh, again, there are soldiers as well as civilians. Here is one of the family members of uh, a hostage imploring Israel and the United States to be incredibly to work to release these hostages and not escalate the violence. Take a look. Right now, this is at the Carlton Hotel in Tel Aviv. Four families who are U.S. citizens speaking at an emotional press conference, hoping to get answers about their missing loved ones. Let's listen in. That are kept in hostage by the Hamas terrorists. While saying this, I want also to speak about the responsibility that the U.S. administration, President Biden, and the Secretary of State Blinken has for the lives of every U.S. citizen that is out there. And they are responsible to bring the U.S. citizens back home safe and sound. Okay, so there you have it. There's a family member of someone who is being held hostage. And a lot of people don't know, are they alive? Uh, are they dead? Where are they being held? Again, Gaza is the most um, populated uh, place on earth, I believe, uh, the most dense in terms of population, uh, which spells nothing but um, disaster when it comes to an all-out war. But Aura, do you see in, I guess, and I don't know if, if you've got your ear to the ground on this, but in in Israel, if people are here you have this man imploring his own government to do something, but then kind of raining bombs on the very people who could be holding your loved one doesn't feel like a way to bring them back. Um, yeah. So your reaction to that? 
Well, I, I do not have my ear to the ground in Israeli <laughs> society, as you might imagine. I'm not wildly popular there. But the um, <laughs> uh, but what I would say is that what I have learned is that e Egyptian mediation sources um, named that Israel's constant bombardment and airstrikes was preventing any kind of negotiation from happening. And so we are literally seeing, even if that was the only thing that we know, we're literally seeing this um, Israel investing all of its energy and resources into a response that is singularly focused on obliterating Gaza. And knowing that that is um, a blockage to any kind of hostage negotiation. So no matter how much, you know, let's say there's some legitimate, you know, opposition to negotiating with Hamas, um, you, if you were being strategic and cared, then you would figure something out. You would figure out, you would try to figure out how to prioritize those lives and, and accountability to those families. Um, that's without even uh, taking on the responsibility of the brutal decades-long occupation and siege of Gaza that created the violence in the first place. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, something that I thought about, I think I was even texting with you about earlier, Francesca, is that um, in terms of a response around here, I, for some reason, I still can't get up. My father is, was a rabbi, he's retired, and I still somehow can't get off his synagogue's newsletter. I don't, it's like spam. Are there, it's like a DNC. Yeah, they're trolling me. Yeah, exactly. So I get this message and I saw what now I was saying, it was, it was so depressing because of course there's thousands of these synagogue letters going out, I'm sure, all over the world. Um, you know, telling Jews to all the members of the synagogue to stand by Israel and to donate money to support Operation Iron Swords, you know, which every single one of Israel's bombardment, you know, escalated wars on Gaza have had these awful, like, comic book names. It's like, right. you know, it's like, it's unreal even how violent they are in their language, but so the, it was um, calling for all the members of the synagogue to raise money for the army, not for like the citizens of Sarah or the family, or members. The family yeah. members or anything. And then what was deep is like, I've been, um, you know, receiving the people in my networks calls for fundraising that are for like Palestine humanitarian medical aid. And, you know, all these different, I mean, it's pretty much focused on supporting medical aid to all yeah. the victims of Israel's bombings. Um, and what's so wild to think is that not that I ever would, but if I were calling on the response to be raising money to support the fighters on that side, I'd be arrested. Yeah. You know, so um, it, and I think that's the thing here is it's like that kind of response. And we saw it like you named 9-11 here, Francesca, that we all I mean, this is par for the course with Israel and with the U.S. The U.S. constantly divests from any kind of care for its citizens and invest gazillions of dollars into war machine, our own and Israel's, you know. Yeah. So I think this is just like a very real time 
um, example of, of that being, like you said, the operating principles um, and priorities of, of the government. Yeah. Well, let's look at um, the Israeli government a little bit, and then we'll go into sort of the impact. And then I want to circle back to I, or you have a forthcoming op-ed in every every publication. <laughs> that, but but no, I want to talk about sort of Israeli society and maybe what this impact, uh, what this will have, what impact this will have, um, if any. But but let's just go to the defense minister. I'm sure people have seen this or heard this. Um, basically, um, calling uh, Palestinians animals and vowing mass retribution here. <laughs> We are imposing a complete siege on Gaza. There will be no electricity, no food, no water, no fuel. Everything will be closed. We are fighting against human animals and we are acting accordingly. So, and that's exactly what they have done. So we're talking um, um, no electricity for more than a few hours a day. Um, you are also talking about um, the cutting off a of water supply. There's already, I believe, the like 97% of Gazans don't even have access to clean water. Um, again, 2 million people in the most populous place on earth. 50% um, of the 2 million are children. That's why there are so many images of children who have been killed coming out. Um, this is just today. And mind you, um, Gazans are being told to leave. Um, problem is, no way out. And today there was uh, actually Israel made sure there was no way out by bombing the only crossing between Gaza and Egypt. Okay, so I can't watch even that video and not get emotional um, because I can't hear the people screaming in the background. And I think, you know, um, it's just incredible to me that, um, people who say, if you mention op occupation, you believe in terrorism. It's like, it's precisely because I cannot stomach a single person dying needlessly from this occupation on any side, um, that I say what I say. But anyway, so there you have it. They are truly trapped. They, they were there with their suitcases trying to leave. Um, again, Gaza is already a place of refugees. 70% of Gazans are refugees from Israel. They were cut off from their land, their ancestral land, um, and pushed into Gaza. Again, this open air prison, um, Here's a little bit of context, and I apologize, there is more video. If you don't want to watch it, you don't have to. Um, but here is Mohammed Al-Kurd, um, who, again, became sort of well-known for the attacks on communities in East Jerusalem that happened um, last year and the year before, I believe. Um, and uh, things that we don't talk about, things that I haven't seen celebrities post about. <laughs> you know, the, the children dragged out of their homes in East Jerusalem. Didn't see that. But that's fun. Anyway, here he is. Uh, and I think this was an incredible um, little uh, video. I mean, I want to invite you and I want to invite the listener to consider, you know, the level of despair people in the Gaza Strip must be feeling. In the past 17 years, Palestinians in the Gaza Strip have been living under blockade, under siege. Um, a quarter, nearly a quarter of our population in the Gaza Strip, which is besieged, do not make it past five years old. Could you imagine that? We don't have access to, to clean water. People in the Gaza Strip die of suicide and the routine bombardment that happens every single time. And when they want to protest, 
like protesting peacefully in the Great March of Return. They get shot in the limbs, they get shot and killed. You have a, you have a population of amputees roaming around the Gaza Strip when they want to ask people to boycott. You have governments like the United States government and the United Kingdom government criminalizing that boycott. So that's what you, in reference to what Ora was saying earlier, this nonviolent protest also being criminalized. Uh, just you cannot even boycott Israel. Um, when when they want to write about this, they are um, accused of bigotry and they are accused of hate speech. How much violence is acceptable? And we are told that we have to accept that there is a foot on our neck and there is a foot that continues to be on our neck for the past 75 years. And in Gaza, it's 17 years of absolute siege. And any type of protest we do is completely unacceptable. Not only this, but our massacres, the bloodshed of our people is normalized, it's business as usual, it's day to day, and not only it's financed and supported by Western regimes. These are people with no prospects. These are people that live under the daily threat of death, who, have, who get bombarded every other day. There is one population that lives under a system which has been deemed by many, many global human rights organizations as a system of apartheid. There's a population that lives inside a cage without citizenship, without right to movement, without access to clean water, and there's a, and there's a population that enjoys its full rights. This year and last year have been the deadliest for Palestinians in the occupied West Bank since anybody started keeping track of Palestinians being killed by the occupations. But none of those things, none of those things warrant a special a special program. Can you tell me why is that? So she, he's asking there the uh, the um, the reporter that they're doing a special program on what's going on now, but why are all these moments didn't get their own special program? Just yes, it, one of the big things was 2018. There was a great march of return in Gaza. Israel killed 217 protesters and injured 36,000 of them. This is the nonviolent resistance that has happened before. Again, not to justify to just lay the context down. But Aura, I, I, you have done so much Palestine solidarity work and, and Ray, please jump in wherever. But I, I do want to ask you about being, and you mentioned this earlier, but being steadfast in this solidarity and how, you know, how we can maintain that um, even in the face of the, of, you know, the atrocities committed by Hamas and how, um, yeah, like, how you almost like decenter yourself from this, you know, and especially as an American Jew, I think, and we didn't talk about the anti-Semitism piece, but yeah, tell us about like, you've really also had to talk to a lot of people that have struggled to come to a place of supporting the rights of Palestinians, um, right? And, and like, anyway, I don't know, just weigh in here, please. <laughs> There's no question. I'm terrible at this. Well, I mean, what I would say is nobody, my first response is nobody is made safer by condemning anti-Semitism. That literally does nothing. It has no impact on anybody's safety. Not a single person's safety is helped by the ADLs coming for everybody or or your um, liberal Zionist friends telling you you need to condemn anti-Semitism as a response. It's not going to support the murder of babies. Uh huh. Yeah, but like that call to say like that condemn that we need to condemn anti-Semitism um, is not going to free those hostages. It's not going to dis you know dismantle. Uh, Hamas. 
um, it's not going to bring peace. And throughout history, what has always proven to bring peace is solidarity and working together to make safe, dignified, healthy lives for people. And diversity and equity and democracy is what has always made people safer. And mm -hmm. so throughout the, you know, you know that I have been exhausted by trying to create, um, you know, to be a part of uh, liberating Jewish culture from the stranglehold of, of, you know, the narrow nationalism of Zionism um, and the really fascist behaviors um, of, uh, you know, Israel's supporters. Um, uh, and I think that to some extent, we are all going to have to fo just focus on um, the many liberation struggles throughout the world. Um, there are more of us than them. Like most sadly, most of the oppressor in any society is going to come last kicking and screaming. Um, but of course, there is a um, small but mighty uh, Jewish anti-Zionist movement. Um, I do think it's, you know, people, we are growing. Um, uh, but I do think it's important to critique my people for how small we, this movement still is. Um, but we've been from childhood, we've been brainwashed. It's like a cult mentality. We are trained to have emotional responses to political issues. Mm -hmm. um, we are trained to be defensive and reactionary instead of rational, like thinking about what are the historical origins? What are the conditions you know, that can be addressed if we are actually interested in peace, right? Um, in safety. Um, even if it's from a more self-centered point of view. Sure. Um, uh, but so for me, you know, the, the, joining the um, struggle for Palestinian self-determination and, and freedom and dignity um, was the only way I could get my humanity back. Um, and, uh, so when I'm thinking about this, I, I was thinking about, and you and I, uh, I was sharing some of my writing with you and I, it made me think of the infamous Malcolm X, uh, comment that, um, the chickens will come home to roost, um, referring to, uh, I mean, about the, in response to the assassination of JFK, but it was a bigger comment on white supremacist, you know, settler colonial societies. And I looked up the origin of this the kind of chickens coming home to roost uh, comment. And mm -hmm. it's actually from like the 1800s from uh, th this writing talking about how um, curses are like chickens. They always come home to roost. And it made me think of how the Israeli occupation is a curse. And it is, um, as we know, that um, a militarized society is poisoning itself, is becoming monsters. And very almost every Israeli serves in the army. And those yeah. who refuse to serve are punished. Um, so we're, that's also something we all have to remember here is that like these are not Israelis who don't have any idea about some war being on Palestinians being carried out like miles away by somebody else. 
that's what I think was so powerful and important to remember is there is a dissonance, right? Where you, you know, obviously you see the level and the scale of, of death, uh, you know, uh, you know, that Hamas waged on Israeli citizens. And you think this is awful and terrible, but also, you know, especially a rave, a music festival where everything's fine, right? Shouldn't that be? But it is happening. It's right next to Gaza. It's, it's right so next crazy. to people being deprived of their liberty. You know, the and and that dissonance is rife throughout the occupied territories and throughout Israel generally. But then you uh, bring up an important reminder, which is, you know, Israelis cannot necessarily pretend that they are ignorant to that because every day if they serve in the military and as they are required to, they they carry out these exercises of raiding people's homes, of terrorizing them, of shooting randomly into buildings as they have openly admitted that they do just for, to get their rocks off because they didn't know what else to do, of, of strip searching people through checkpoints when they're trying to get to doctor's appointments. I mean, you name it, the level of daily dehumanization that has happened that they participate in that, yes, their government ob obligates them to. And there are resistors, as you mentioned. But again, it's we're sort of thrust in this narrative of like, where did this come from? I mean, even less sort of head scratching than 9-11. You know what I mean? Like even more obvious than that. Um, anyway, Ray, do you want to weigh in here? I realize. Yeah. Yeah. So I am just shocked. I mean, I'm not surprised considering the level of pro-Israel propaganda that is allowed to spread through media unquestioned, unquestioned. And yet again, as both of you have, have mentioned throughout this, if you do question it, you're supporting terrorism, then it's, yeah. or it's anti-Semitic. You're not allowed to question it. You're not allowed to call it propaganda. But speaking of the rave, uncritically put out across so many otherwise reputable media sources that it was a rave for peace, which is not founded in anything that I've been able to find about the event. Also the idea, how many, if it, if it was for peace, how many Palestinians were there? How many right. people from Gaza were there? Zero, zero. They are dancing to EDM music while in the distance they can see just some of the worst human suffering on the planet. That is yeah. not a, a celebration of peace. And, you know, I also just, mm -hmm. you know, invoking 9-11, I, I do want to mention, I've seen reports that a lot of cities have bolstered security around, um, uh, you know, in, in Jewish communities, um, around synagogues. And if there are credible threats in, and generally, you know, it's a group in the United States that has been targeted, particularly with white supremacist violence and, and hate crimes. I'm, I'm happy to see that. I want to see the same thing at my mosque. I want to see the same thing in the yeah. community I live in, which is majority Muslim community here in Chicago. You have massive Palestinian population here. I want to see increased security there because the rhetoric that's being spread online, in person, I've already seen videos of, of people screaming, breaking windows of businesses that have Palestinian flags, screaming at people who they just perceive to be Muslim, right? I want to yeah. see security for these people. You know, I've, the media is, is, referring to Palestinians as all terrorists and animals less than yeah. less than human is how honestly worse than animals they're saying they deserve to be treated I mean I saw people that I otherwise would respect I've seen describe the deaths of Palestinians as justified and incidental to war which yeah. And, and yeah and I think even worse um just kind of like sort of um very like um using them the way that like 
the the in like in the form of pawns like treating them like pawns basically treating palestinian lives as if they're expendable as if it's all being done for geopolitical purposes oh it's iran oh but it's israel or but it's you know and it's ultimately and then saudi arabia and and, and then a few other uh, you know thousands of palestinians die and that only helps you know like like the islamic state of iran and it's just like wait you just you just reduced like you just skipped over the part where like thousands of Palestinians die so you can prove your broader geopolitical point as if they don't they're not humans and they like they're all just being used by somebody else. So anyway, I well, and they're try and and that these thousands and thousands of Palestinians lives that are lost constantly um like you're saying ray are treated as collateral are not valued are mostly not even reported on um yeah. but then we are all being demand demanded um to condemn the israeli lives lost in in this one attack um yeah. and every life is a whole ass life like those are people um so it's not not that i you know, but I'm celebrating that and I can't even imagine the horror like I never can. And so it's like that kind of double standard where we are literally Palestinian lives are being devalued and destroyed constantly. And um, the international community is not doing anything about it. And Israel is acting with complete impunity. And then if like, if we want to respond at all right now, we must, um, you know, they have to extract this um, condemnation of those deaths, only those deaths. Um, yeah. And like you said, Francesca, if we want to talk about a systemic um, cause to these, this loss of life to this violence, um, which is the only kind of response that might lead to preventing more um, than, you know, that is accused of being like heartless. Right. right, but right that's, absolutely. That's why I think for me, I want our response um, to be about um, focusing on our own responsibility, our own resistance. So instead of focusing on whether we do or don't condemn or condone armed resistance or you know certain forms of armed resistance and others are atrocious you know um those are i want to focus on the resistance that will make a difference for us here mm -hmm. is um it this is my armed resistor actually <laughs> right here. i'm gonna tell you what there's a there's a floofy cat in the back <laughs> um is that is that we need to finally, finally stop U.S. aid in the form of billions of dollars, weapons, diplomatic cover now. To yes. We have to finally, like everybody has to get on board with that. That is the only thing that we can do to get this blood off our hands. And Absolutely. I know, you know. And I think even more, like even before an end to occupation, you can even just agree, hey, could we not keep on funding like the Israeli military to the tune of whatever five that's billion. That's the a only year. way that that's the only way we're going to even get close to getting Israel to finally um, have to adhere to international law, human decency, democ democratic, you know, principles, any of it. And 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 I think that's the thing is like 
for me, because I'm not right now, like I said, kind of certain people will come last kicking and screaming and I'm not trying to spend too much time debating Zionists, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I am concerned about the health and strength and strategic impact of our movements for social justice and for human rights um, and for self-determination from all the occupied places, from Ukraine to Kashmir, which is going through like such a parallel experience of an insane occupation from India yes. and, and Gaza. And, um, and so for me, um, we can think about how... Uh, you know, progressive folks in the north of Ireland um, had to negotiate the the justness of their cause while sometimes the IRA carried out violent, you know, acts. Um, there was always armed resistance as part of the um, struggle to end apartheid in South Africa. There has always been multiple forms of resistance in this country by the indigenous and uh, formerly enslaved folks here. Um, and so we people are forced to take up arms to protect themselves and their families and to try to get out of the prisons that they're put in like Gaza. Um, but we, it like the issue for me is that Israel funded Hamas and uh, undermined all the more secular and progressive um, Palestinian resistance um, exactly. in ways that also undermined Palestinian society. And they're undermining it all the time by cutting off economic possibilities and destroying the social fabric and the religious institutions and education and all of these, and including supporting the rise of Hamas, which is not a feminist organization, which is not a democratic organization, right? Because Israel knows that all of like in the 80s during the uprising, the Palestine, the Intifada then, we like that what was happening was young people and women were really taking so much leadership and there was all kinds of really mm -hmm. awesome social change happening within Palestinian society. And that's a real threat to Israel's yes. hegemony. Right, right. Because, right, they can't say, oh, look, they're so backwards. Uh, it doesn't, again, work with the PR campaign, supposedly. And also it makes um, for a stronger people. Like literally, it's not well, even yeah, just the PR. Exactly. <laughs> it, oh, one hundred percent. Yes, it involves more more of civil society, and there's so much to say. I mean, let's in terms of the U.S. the U.S.'s role. I think that's where we need to maybe end this and talk about. You know, the U.S. sent a warship to the off the coast of Gaza, the SS Gerald Ford. It's got five thousand personnel. It's all kinds of newfangled military weaponry, as if a hundred fighters pose any kind of threat um, to a warship. But anyway, um, Joe Biden obviously doubling down his support. Anthony Blinken basically saying, look, y'all are saying that Iran was involved. There's no evidence of that, but okay. Um, Biden getting told by Republicans that it's basically his fault because, uh, you know, there was a deal negotiated to release prisoners and, and there was a $6 billion unfrozen from Iranian accounts. To say nothing of the fact that the Iran deal's dead, hello, like that's, you know, that that's made us all less safe. Um, but then this was back to the, just the attempts at negotiation um, earlier. This was from that same Intercept article. Um, the Trump, the U.S. government under Trump and Biden 
remained AWOL in the years since and left the situation in the territory to fester while U.S. diplomats spent time in distant Dubai and Riyadh dreaming up splashy new economic and political agreements to sell as successes to domestic audiences. Under Biden, the U.S. has devoted little effort to seeking even tactical detente, let alone peace between Israel and Palestinians, preferring instead to continue the Trump administration's approach of ignoring Palestinians to seek a quid pro quo diplomatic deals between Israel and foreign Arab and Muslim countries with whom Israel has no direct conflict. So it's like, yeah, who cares that they're going to make a deal with like UAE? So um, also to say nothing of the fact that Biden didn't move the embassy um, out of Jerusalem, which was a, you know, incredibly bold move under Trump. Um, and finally, you know, let's look at, cause look, unlike in the eighties and unlike in 2000, honestly, 2014, as recently as that, or during the, obviously the second intifada either, we didn't have progressives in Congress saying things like Rashida Tlaib, right? Um, who is Palestinian herself? Who grieves, saying she grieves the loss of life, determined to fight for a future as, as determined as ever. The path must include lifting the blockade on Gaza, ending the occupation, dismantling the dehumanizing uh, apartheid system, on and on and on, echoed by Cori Bush, by the way, not Muslim, not Palestinian, just fucking amazing, you know, who again um, talks about we must focus on uh, a just and lasting peace that creates safety for everyone. We must stop uh, the U.S. government support for Israeli military occupation and apartheid. I mean, they are getting destroyed over these very basic things that we've been calling for civil society in Palestine, Israel, and here have been calling for for so many decades. But um, where do we go? We are, where do we go from here? Some parting words, Aura, leave, leave us with some thoughts on, um, you know, maybe it is like calling their offices and supporting them or asking why, why don't you talk about U.S. aid? Like, why do you feel like this is where we all need to basically just put down our phones and focus, focus on this military aid? Uh, definitely. I feel like we shall probably just put down our phones, period. Um, oh. <laughs> well, but, and also I do want to say that I'm grateful to y'all as like, you know, kind of storytellers of documenters of news folks of cultural workers. And also we need that. And also I just really hope we can all remember that posting on Instagram does not equal action. It is debating people on Twitter is not how we're going to get free. It's yeah. like there's a, a you have to figure out there's a time and place and give it a, have just have boundaries around it and be like, this is the role that plays. But that is not actually the revolution. And um, and so I think that I mean, one, there are there have been people working to end USAID for decades and decades. Um, I do think that there are really important um, uh, move, uh, co like organizing together happening like in Atlanta against Cop City um, mm -hmm. with the community movement builders and their connection with like Adela Justice Project and NDN Collective, like all of these Black and Indigenous-led organizations fighting against um, the military-industrial complex and um, the police exchanges that happen um, with Israel um, and speaking uh, of land grabs, I mean, with, uh, next episode um, and every episode forever, sadly. But um, but and so I think that we need to all focus on um, ending U.S. aid 
ramping up that pressure and doing it in coalition and in solidarity because there mm -hmm. we have the same enemies. The, it is the same uh, corporations that are benefiting from the arms, you know, industry. It is the same uh, political leaders. It is the same cops training each other, all of this. Yes. And, and so we really do need to focus our activism and our voices on divesting from Israel, period. And doing that, like I'm saying, in partnership with all of the indigenous and black and brown led organizations and movements here on this stolen land um, so that it, who are working for reparations and for redistribution of these resources and of this power. So mm -hmm. I think that that is really the key thing, also especially because there it we need to fight the political ghettoization of the Palestinian struggle. This yes. is not about like the fact the more that it, that um, Zionists are able to uh, successfully isolate this and make it seem like it's a Jew versus Arab, which also, of course, erases all of the Arab Jews. Um, yes. Or like you said, misconstrues it as a religious, um, quote unquote, conflict when it's actually a very intense geopolitical one, um, you know, and then the more that we can then strengthen all of our movements, right, globally, um, for decolonization and for building local um, governance. Mm. I mean, and you've walked that walk uh, as having helped organize uh, one of the first indigenous delegation from the United States, uh, another one settler colony to the occupied territories um, back in the day. Uh, and we just passed Indigenous Peoples Day just yesterday. Um, so I think that's really important to remember. And thank you. Thank you for being here, Aura. Thank you for all of your work and your insight and your brilliance. And I really hope, you know, look, a lot's going to change even in a week. Um, people who are calling us baby killers, we'll see. We'll see how that all plays out in a week when however many thousands more Palestinians die needlessly. I also think in the media, we need to talk ceasefire. Anthony Blinken tweeted about a ceasefire. That dude deleted his own fucking tweet because you can't even say ceasefire right now without being called like a terrorist or that you're on the side of terrorism. Which Wild. Is, is insane. It's like, no, Wild. no, 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 no. We want violence to keep going. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's where we're at here. Aura, can you plug FIG real quick before you get out of here? Uh, FIG is a grassroots collective of people working in the food system, working to transform it and to redistribute resources and to build a locally controlled, equitable and sustainable uh, community run food system. So we've done lots of work. In New York specifically or throughout the country? In New York specifically. Um, and we have, and we then align ourselves and do work in solidarity with the I Collective, a national collective of indigenous um, food workers, and with uh, like folks in Puerto Rico working for sovereignty and first, you know, taking back, reclaiming their food systems there. Um, so based locally and riding ride or die with Palestine, Puerto Rico and Turtle Island everywhere. I love you so hard. Um, take care of yourself and thank you so much. 
Bye. And Ray, you're mine for the next little bit because we need a palate cleanse. And yes. the only way to do that is to talk about Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> but I am very, you know, I am curious, you know, you, I'm sure you've been getting it as well too. You know, a lot of people um, condemning you for not condemning other people, blah, 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 yeah. Blah. but um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's really interesting, you know, this issue like 10 years ago was so different and mm. we didn't have any me media online. I mean, I say that in a way that is like, again, the misinformation has been off the charts. Um, but, you know, I remember when, like, in, like, 2007, BuzzFeed was like, here's an explainer on Israel-Palestine. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> like, like, the world is very different now when BuzzFeed is explaining how, like, you know, Israel is continually expanding, taking Palestinian land. You hear jokes about it on stage. I'm a stand-up, you know, and, like, a comic where you're, like, doing a joke about, you know, claiming their territory in their, uh, in whatever, a room, a apartment they share with their roommate. And, like, it's like, that got a fucking massive laugh. Like n the consciousness in American society and popular opinion is such that I think that's why we're seeing the amount of backlash that we are seeing now is because folks really have not, are not kept in the dark the way I think Americans have been kept in the dark on this issue for so long. Mm -hmm. I say even my, <laughs> I have a very apolitical family. Generally, mm -hmm. my, my brother is someone who I'd never be expected to be tuned into anything. And even he, was is now on the pro-Palestine side of this issue, like someone who I didn't think he's a very smart person. I'm not trying to undermine his intelligence, but someone I didn't think could <laughs> if you're point to it on a map sure. <laughs> just a few years ago has been, um, you know, because it's been, as you've been saying, put more into popular culture, what is actually going on? And I'll say, you know, I remember that Michael Che made a joke on SNL about, uh, about Israel, it, it, specifically calling it an apartheid state is i mean essentially was what the joke wild was. and and there were calls for him to be fired and they were not met with him being fired and i was very pleasantly surprised to see that because just not that not even that long ago i mean <laughs> that absolutely could get you fired from your job i mean someone even and it, it's not that it's over i just saw a journalist was fired for disagreeing with the uh organization that he worked for's statement saying that they support israel he said i i want to i support a free palestine he was fired for that just yesterday so it does still happen but i think it's becoming more and more untenable i've seen a this is not you know he's works for regular in the world of in the world of journalism, of course, yeah. um, which is like, oh, uh, yeah, we're arbiters of the truth and we are objective. And here is our statement in solidarity. And you're just like, yeah, <laughs> no. And, and it happens all the time. And especially like we Mark Lamont Hill losing his job over at CNN. I'm yeah, I'm waiting for the next round. And like, you know, it's there are a lot of people who are not saying anything because they want to keep their jobs right now. Right. Um, which is so funny because the right who supports Israel vehemently constantly tells us that um, we're the ones who censor, that the left is, uh, you know, that they're about free speech. And of course, we know that this is the one issue that that and many issues <laughs> where they're completely proven wrong about. Right. Your entire your entire future is in jeopardy when you when you speak out for Palestinian human rights. That's it. You can't work as a, <laughs> as a teacher in Texas without signing a pledge saying you won't support BDS. You That's have exactly to right. promise that you will not just like so random. Right. So and like so antithetical to promoting free speech. Genuinely 
<laughs> just such an affront. It must be unconstitutional. I just don't think it's ever been challenged. And of course, we have a very right wing judiciary that might not even be receptive to that challenge. So, <laughs> I mean, but right. it is fundamentally unconstitutional. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's like to say nothing of the amount of dark money and not mm -hmm. dark money that APAC and other lobbying groups pour into supporting candidates who won't vote in any way against Israel. Right. Yeah. Um, and go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, just thinking about how much uh, uh, pro-Israel lobby money went into the race for the with Nina Turner and Chantel Brown in yep. a district that has a tiny, tiny Jewish population. <laughs> and it's like, I'm sorry, you have already such a Congress that is captured by pro-Israel interests. Uh, it would be great to have a voice that was going to be, uh, you know, unashamedly pro-Palestine. But the idea that that was going to be like the turning point, if Nina Turner selected, then it, all of a sudden they would stop sending massive amounts of funding to Israel. It's just fundamentally untrue. But they're so concerned about even having that voice there that they were willing to pour all that money into that specific district's primary. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And others and they're redoubling their efforts and they're trying to primary Jamal Bowman and they're mm -hmm. trying to uh, primary Ilhan Omar and they're trying to primary. I mean, you know, they it goes on and on and on. And these these are the same lobbying groups that supported insurrectionist candidates. They support Republican candidates. I mean, again, and I said this yesterday on the damage report, I'll say it again here. We didn't even get into the way the right tries to spin this, right? I mean, you talk about all you need to know about how far right the government of Israel is, is that Netanyahu loves himself some Donald Trump. Donald Trump has a settlement in Israel named after him. Netanyahu was the very first world leader to call and congratulate Donald Trump on his victory on the same day that Richard Spencer was leading in a group of fucking nerds in a Heil Hitler salute. OK, so the idea that Israel is the foremost bastion of, um, you know, pro Jewish sentiment and stands firmly against anti-Semitism. No, no, it doesn't. I am not convinced that the state that the government of Israel stands against anti-Semitism, they have absolutely not proven that. I, time and time again, they don't prove that. But I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu did a speech where he did, engaged in Holocaust revisionism, where he said that Hitler did not want to exterminate the Jews until a Palestinian individual. Uh, met with him and told him that he should be doing and not expulsion extermination, despite the fact that that meeting did take place years after they had already started uh, uh, systemically exterminating uh, Jewish people in the Holocaust. Just the just reverse engineering why it was actually Hamas's fault. It was right. actually this child with a rock <laughs> threw the rock and hit Hitler's hat and it twisted in such a way. And then he got the idea. What if I exterminate Jews? Uh, wild. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it truly takes a piss out of every human life. You know, it, it, I mean, like Israelis should be incensed at their own leadership as we should be incensed at our fucking, yeah. this fucking weak ass mother. I mean, he pulled out of Afghanistan, right? I'll give him that. But Biden on foreign policy is a fuck is like, is, a, is Trump. Yeah. He's Trump. Yeah. Absolutely. He's, he's Trump 2.0. And even with Afghanistan, there was... <laughs> like the, the devastation that they just had an earthquake, right? 2,500 people were killed in this earthquake and no statement on that. 
no statement on we're going to work with you know the UN uh, and to ensure that these people receive resources because they can't trust the Taliban government, of course, to make sure that they're it's a it's a it, uh, an economy that's based almost entirely on foreign aid, and because of the Taliban takeover, almost all of the uh, foreign aid organizations have pulled out reasonably, mm. but that only serves to desperately hurt the people who live there. No. No statement on, you know, we stand in support of ensuring that the people of Afghanistan get medical treatment and that there's adequate search and rescue teams. But he can tweet a thousand times, make a thousand statements saying we stand with Israel arm in arm. America uh, is Israel's oldest friend. And it's like, I don't know who we is, Joe Biden. I do not stand with Israel, but I'm glad that you don't give a shit about the 2,500, uh, you know, men, women, and children who got crushed under. Exactly. How about unfreezing there. their bank accounts? Right. <laughs> I mean, and, and letting the folks who helped, you know, the U S occupation talk about another, uh, talk about a curse. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. 20, 20 plus year curse was, uh, our occupation of Afghanistan. Um, Here's what I want to say, Ray, and this is the last thing. I think everyone needs to know this. You guys, we're all going to see a lot of shit we disagree with online. We're going to see, you know, I'm looking at something right now, right? We're going to see um, statements that look like they are apologetic and are supportive of the atrocities that Hamas committed against the people of Israel. Um, and that is not okay. However, that is not a reason to say that the entire context and the entire Israeli war machine um, has a justification to wipe Palestinians off the map. That's mm -hmm. it. It you know you're going to see a lot of people who are tired, who've been in this struggle for a long time, who are going to say some like flip shit, who are going to say some insensitive stuff. I get it, but it is not. Don't let that push you off your bearing for um, sort of morally and politically uh, what we need to be working towards in this struggle. And our role in it. So I just want to put that out there because I—that's a test. Your politics, when the rubber hits the road, is moments like this, man. Mm -hmm. You know, and we all have to kind of come to that where we're like, "Shit, here we are. We're, we're being tested. Let's go." You know. Um. Anyway, right before we get out of here, there is someone who's being tested. His name's Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> He's probably going to be speaker again. Yeah, I said it. Because here's the thing. And if there's any moment where I'm more happy that Congress is absolutely rudderless, it's right now because you guarantee you can guarantee that if Republicans were currently like running a bunch of shit throughout, you know, uh, the, the House of Reps when it comes to Israel Palestine, they'd be running in the wrong direction, and this would be all they'd be like, we need to send attack dogs and you know send Commander Biden out there, <laughs> like whatever the fuck they'd be freaking out, and so it's good uh, right now. There is a detente. We've got um. I guess the the Israel-Palestine, no, really not the Israel-Palestine of Congress, but <laughs> Steve Scalise on one side uh, and Jim Jordan on the other side, uh, just vying for uh, Republicans to vote for them for House Speaker. It probably won't be Trump. It probably will be one of them unless something else happens. Here's what the problem. Um, moderate Republicans, some of whom are in swing districts that went to Biden in 2020, remain skeptical that Speaker Scalise or Jordan would represent their interests, given that both are incredibly conservative. While some candidates are trying, while both candidates are trying to assuage their concerns, moderates are now openly calling for reinstating McCarthy as speaker. This was yesterday, guys. This was the, this is truly the atrocity. Kevin McCarthy says he's willing to return as House Speaker, even though not so long ago. Here's literally what he said. Guys, this was a week ago. Ray, ah. 
Unfortunately, 4% of our conference can join all the Democrats and dictate who can be the Republican Speaker in this House. I don't think that rule is good for the institution, but apparently I'm the only one. I believe I can continue to fight, maybe in a different manner. I will not run for speaker again. I'll have the conference pick somebody else. I will not run for speaker. I'll have the conference pick someone else. And I love how he starts that part where, where, or clip where he's like, it's just such a shame that only 4% can vote me out. And it's mm -hmm. like, you did that. <laughs> you set that up. The, I, That's your fault. I love that speech he gave because it starts with him saying, I had to walk uphill both ways to school with no shoes in the snow in Bakersfield, California, <laughs> where I had to work from nothing to get where I am today. <laughs> snow in Bakersfield. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's fascinating to, cause I mean, and I, I want to pat myself on the back here for a second. What I've been saying is the Republicans are screwing themselves uh -huh. when it comes to the upcoming election obviously the house it's always an election year everyone's always up for re-election uh every two years so um they have this issue right first of all a lot of state supreme courts have shot down the gerrymandered maps that they had to their benefit during the midterms so they're yes. going to lose some of those uh newly created red districts they're uh, these courts have and the state's legislators now have to re-enfranchise a lot of black voters who were disenfranchised through those gerrymandered maps um so that's an issue they have to face they have to face uh you know as as that was talking about the concerns of republicans in districts that went for biden who right. are you know they're in swing states and swing districts it, it's a fragile situation and when you have even kevin mccarthy who was trying to play to both the you know the r plus 75 marjorie taylor green type districts while also having to keep in mind that these people are going to be facing tough re-election campaigns he wasn't very good at striking that balance but steve scalise who i think has been sort of portrayed as the more moderate candidate in this which is absurd i mean he's literally been described as david duke without the baggage okay <laughs> there is not uh, there is no world of difference between his politics and jim jordan's politics there the only difference is that steve scalise has been part of the establishment for a longer amount of time than jim jordan and he's a little bit more careful in his rhetoric just as hateful just as bigoted so it, it is definitely dangerous for those republicans and i <laughs> I think it's going to be super funny when it is Kevin McCarthy again, but I will say I love in that clip, he blames. And it's going to take like 18 right. rounds to get him there, dude. It's going to be like a whole week. Uh -huh. He blames the Democrats who he never asked to support him in that vote <laughs> for the reason why you should you didn't even try to broker a deal with them you didn't go to the table you didn't offer any concessions you just no. expected that they were going to vote to keep you as speaker why would they <laughs> absolutely no and exactly you're like well because they voted to you know save the government stop the government from shutting down so they're going to bail me out here no <laughs> no you idiot. So here's what's happening next. They're going to gather. This was, I guess, last night in a closed meeting to discuss where the conference goes after McCarthy's ouster as speaker. A candidate form is scheduled Tuesday, followed by voting among House Republicans Wednesday. It's unclear when the full House might vote on a new speaker. And and they're kind of, again, it's they're the same guy. Mm -hmm. um, 
Gates said there's not ideological difference between the two of them, which is so funny because you're like, what's going to satisfy Gates? Like how many IOUs, like I will not investigate any of your Venmo transactions. Right. You know, like, how many does he want to extract from these people? But it's like, no one seems excited about anyone. They're all just personal branding at each other. Mm -hmm. um, this is like when we, the left, are kind of in our worst moments. <laughs> That's what it's like. <laughs> it is nice to be able to say, oh, look, it's not us for once. It's it's these girlies are fighting and I'm here yeah, for it. It's got it's these girlies with way too much power. Right. Especially Matt Gates. I think there was a, a a little bit of a misconception going into this. I think some people maybe less involved in politics. My mom, I think, thought that this is how it worked, that Matt Gates was going to become Speaker of the House because he was the one pushing for this. There isn't a That's snowball's so chance in hell that that man could ever ever he has the ability to rally these eight other people behind him that he can't get the votes necessary to be speaker of the house i love that idea that it's like all you have to do is just like uh you know issue the motion to vacate right. and then that person gets to like hold hold the gavel for a little bit every just house like, vote would just be a motion to vacate so everyone would get a chance to do it yeah everyone gets to hold the gavel you can only speak if you're holding it just just child's play bullshit and i think you know to to the final point about like the moderates and those republicans yeah how are you going to make your case that you should be reelected when your party is like fucking around like this yeah. you know it makes it look real bad i mean the only thing they can say is like hey we stalled the government it's biden's government eh <laughs> i don't know does that work right <laughs> Especially when they're facing, you know, a potential government shutdown if they can't get their shit together. Where that's what they want. Plenty of they... people who vote for them are not going to be getting paychecks. They're going to be asked to go into work, and they're not going to be getting paid. And it's not going to play as well as they they think it will because you can't argue. You're the you're the party in control of this now. Essentially, you don't have this. You know, you have the ability to pass a budget, and you're refusing to do it. Like those people who are being asked to go into work as volunteers because they have essential jobs, that's not going to play well with them. Mm -mm. Um, Ray, uh, we are really out of time, so I think we should leave it there. But everybody, tell everybody how they can watch you, not just on TYT, but your own channel. Yeah, well, th first of all, thank you so much for having me on. It's nice to have the opportunity to talk. I was supposed to talk a little bit more about it yesterday. I was hosting the second hour, but it got cut short because of the long discussion in the first hour. So it was nice to be able to lay out my beliefs um, on yeah. the situation very clearly. Um, everyone can see me. I'll be on the damage report on Thursday. I'm hosting the first hour on Friday. You can follow me. I stream every night on twitch.tv slash Ravana. Um, and you can also follow me on Twitter for, for updates on everything I'm doing, uh, which is at Ravana TTV, because some lady has been sitting on at Ravana since 2009 hasn't tweeted with it we but we talked about this <laughs> we're talking about this you know i'm i'm mad at francesca and ravana is arguably an even more like obscure name than mine um but ravana with two y's r-a-y-y-v-a-n-a everybody holler at your girl and thank you so much for being here take very good care um and thank you all for being here you know we we're gonna end this with like a good thing i'll just say uh my baby's birthday party went great and I will also say this, you know, everyone was like, you know, oh, being a mom really radicalized me. And, oh, I think about the climate. I definitely think about the climate a lot more um, and how none of it's real. No, but I, I'm like, I wonder when it's going to hit me. Oh, 
mm, dead babies in Gaza. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Done and done. And I'm crying. And so, um, yeah, man, it, it, it hits a lot closer to home, everything that's happening in the Middle East right now, um, being a parent and knowing uh, just how many parents are having to uh, bury their children right now. So, yeah. And um, this has always been an emotional time. It, this is not about me, but it is also it's very emotional. It's difficult. Uh, tensions are high. And I think it was nice to have both Ray and Aura uh, get a little bit of a tether to the ground there, if you will, for all of us to remember that we need to, again, um, you know, there are there's organizations and USA, USAID um, and I know JVP, Jewish Voices for Peace, I know. Uh, if not now, they are all leading everything from vigils to campaigns. And so stay tuned, guys. There's a lot more to come. But I urge you all to join vigils, to definitely call your representatives, to support, even send messages of support to people like Cori Bush and Ilhan Omar. Uh, we can only imagine, and Rashida Tlaib, we can only imagine the level of hate that they are receiving. So even if it is online, it is good to just, um, you know, get feel that support from them. Um but just a few comments, guys. Uh, Free Soul Life Woke Dragon says, Francesca got me out here looking up the price of tanks and shit. <laughs> Speaking of our of the money we give to Israel. Virginia Morell, hey, welcome to membership on YouTube. Thanks so much for your support. Marcos Granger says, we need to grow the BDS movement. I believe that this is a solution to the violence and oppression in Palestine. Look, it's what Palestinian civil society asked for, um, I believe, over a decade ago, maybe 20 years ago. Um, this is nonviolent. It's a nonviolent way to say, I will not buy or invest in products that are made in the occupied territories I, because I don't believe in profiting off of occupation. That is absolutely what we need to be doing. Um, and also, look, working within the halls of Congress as the squad is or tries to be. Um, still Morgan on Twitch. Crazy people can't see Palestinians and Hamas are separate entities shaking my head. They can, but they say, yeah, but I mean, they... If they didn't want to be bombed, why did they elect Hamas as their leadership? If they didn't, yeah, but they uh, Hamas hides in the buildings where civilians are, right? So it's it's a like I see that they're different, mm, but it's still okay to do the war crime. That's uh, that's how it's justified. Uh, God is my witness. Uh, thank you for your super chat. Let's beach about something. Rachel Atwood, really glad Sam Harris isn't on Twitter right now. Thank you for saying that. He could come back, right? Uh, Robert, thank you for your super chat. I'm bitching that previously I noticed cut marks on a 1.45 million year old shin bone. Maybe the oldest evidence that ancient humans butchered and ate each other and nothing much has changed since. I love this random piece of information. Thank you. Um, and thank you for your super chat. Um, surrender to the flow. Hey, Frantifa, requesting some good vibes from my doggo who is not doing too hot, waiting to eagerly hear from the vet about what our next steps are. Anxious dog mom, I'm sending you so much love. I, I hope that it it's all okay i hope the tests are negative whatever they are negative richard sent ricardo santiago thank you for your super chat excellent discussion today francesca i needed this after listening to some garbage takes yesterday yo i mean we'll have more people on you guys you can go back and listen to my coverage with nora ericott um who's been on the show multiple times palestinian human rights lawyer she's great um but aura always bringing the fire um hulk thank you for your super chat savage lou new member what's up um Let's see. Um, Marco's also asking, how did South Africa apartheid end? BDS, baby. Um, Hef, thank you for your super chat. I think they're going to have Kid Rock as speaker. Hi, Fran. I don't know. Oh, for... <laughs> they can all get behind Kid. 
Um, Lily Alaris is late as hell. Playback for the perks for the win. Thank you so much for being a member. Um, and then, hey, guys, on Friday we have a bonus fish. And last week there were some comments I didn't get to. So just thank you. Uh, Lord God is my witness. Blessings, Francesca, Baby, and Matt. Thank you for your super chat. Robert, thank you also for sending in that super chat. Trump v. Biden debates are like watching your father and your father-in-law wrestle bare-chested at your eldest daughter's wedding reception. <laughs> And then welcome Dallas Dan Digital Productions to membership and welcome Wakanesa67 for being a new member and Robert and Jody with some uh, with some super chats. You guys, I see you. I support you. I love you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, we're, a, we're a Fram Tifa is what we are. And we have our fart song. Which we're going to ride out on as I thank... No, no new patrons at $10 or more. That's okay. Let's go over to Twitch because Twitch is popping off. Thank you to Paper Dragon for being subscribed for three months. You resubscribed. Thank you for Oken Onikaizoku11 resubscribing with Prime. Six months. You haven't disappointed. Thank you so much. Thank you to Undead Pixels for subscribing at Tier 1. Thank you to ZX227 for gifting a Tier 1 sub. Thank you also to gifting another Tier 1 sub. Thank you Robo Monkey Cat for gifting five community subs. ZX227, another two subs. Ramona the Dragon said happy first birthday to Karina. Can I get a shout out for my youngest 19th birthday? Sunday just gone, please. Love the show and the best named cat in the world. Happy birthday to your 19-year-old. That's very exciting. 19, hitting that stride of drinking vodka. Um, and thank you so much, Late Bloomer 66, um, for all your bits. Centaur Dragon resubscribing, Flower Power resubscribing. Love this. Um, really, really appreciate y'all. Um, remember, we stream every Tuesday and Friday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you to Paige Omek, my amazing producer as always, to Maximilian Inhoff, to Andy Vasoyan, our editor. I will see you guys on Friday. Fight the power. Fuck the patriarchy. And don't just bitch about it, people. Be about it. I love you. Bye-bye.